Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of ASU Open Mic Podcast. My name is Natalia Ivanik, the VP Community and Wellness at AUSU, the Athabasca University Students' Union, and I am a disabled and chronically ill fourth-year English and political science student. Um, before we begin, the Athabasca University Students' Union respectfully acknowledges that our organization is located on Treaty 6 territory, the traditional territory of the Nehia Plains Cree, Woodland Cree, Beaver Cree Dene, Suto, Nitsitapi, Metis, and Nakoda Sioux peoples. I am joined here today for a conversation with fellow AU student, Elisa Nevin-Pugh. Thank you so much for being here, Elisa. As some background, Elisa and I have known each other for several years now, communicating regarding advocacy work for disabled students at AU. Um, since Elisa is a champion for disability and accessibility work. Um, before we begin, um, Elisa, can you tell us a little bit about yourself, who you are, what you're studying, your journey to AU, anything at all that you feel fellow students should know about you? Thanks, Natalia. The first thing I would like to say is thank you for this opportunity. No, think that... Um, we live in a world where it's not often that people with diverse opinions can have a two-way conversation, so I appreciate that, so thank you. And I also acknowledge that I live on Treaty 7 territory, which is um, the Blackfoot Confederacy and just north of our Nicolian neighbors. And I've Thank them for the stewardship of this land. Because without them, we wouldn't be here. Um, for myself, I'm a feminist student, sixth year, and so glad to be almost fi finished. Um, but I came to AU in October 2018. Um, after my first institution wasn't as accessible and inclusive as we thought. So I really appreciate AU for its op openness and truth and advocating. And again, I'm just really grateful for this opportunity because I've been advocating for a more well-rounded view of disability for quite a few years now within the feminist um, courses. And so I really appreciate this opportunity. Thank you so much. Um, before moving forward, I, I'd like to acknowledge the diversity of the disability community, our lived experiences, um, backgrounds, and even the language we use. I personally use identity first language when talking about disability and my disability experience in particular. Um, for example, I say that I'm a disabled person as opposed to a uh, person first language, which, which states a person with a disability. Um, however, I should mention that it's always best to defer to how each individual personally identifies. What about you, Elisa? What are your thoughts? Well, I'm, I, I really don't think about that sort of thing. I find it's the way it's said more than the title itself. So it's like if a person looks at me and goes, you're a person with disability, but they look at me like I'm 
tragic thing that has a giving vibe in somebody who says she has she's a person with a disability, but all in all I think that's more a semantic thing. I see my disability as a friend or I'm just going to. So it's like with I go with with a disability, but again I really don't mind what language people use it's how they use it i hope that makes sense completely um thank you so much for this perspective that's a really really great point to consider um we we recently had a great conversation about the varied experiences of disabled students especially those who are born disabled um those who are disabled early in life and those who become disabled later in life can you tell us um a bit about your, your thoughts about this when when it comes to advocacy work and how important and difficult it can be to advocate for a community and with um, as diverse as the disability community. Thank you for acknowledging the differences there because that was the hardest um, thing for me to realize is I'm what I like to call, this isn't, before I continue, this isn't a um, personal thing that's within the disability community yet, or at least I don't think it is, but I call myself a lifer, which means I was born with a disability, which is cerebral palsy quadriplegia. Um, I was born three months premature, so disability is all that I know. And so for me, it's my normal. But I have to realize that someone who came into disability because of accident, because of a medical event, um, may not have the same, I don't want to say comfort, because I'm just starting to get comfortable in my own skin. I don't have the same experience as someone who may be listening to this podcast from a hospital room because they got disabled because someone was distracted driving and they got hit. And I have to recognize that. And that is most difficult part is not transcribing my experience of kind of this definitely able normalcy onto someone who hasn't had it for that long. Because there may be some feelings that haven't been dealt with yet or, you know, so I can't go to somebody who's recently been disabled and say, you should have a kid when they're lying and they going, I just lost my normal. What am I going to do? So it's just kind of, we have to um, respect the different emotional states that someone may be in within the disability community. Am I making sense? Yes, completely. So, and for me too, it's also, but it's also strange because as a lifer, I have a different experience with um, with people saying I'm inspiring. Um, than somebody who just got in, like, just got in a few months ago, you know, and 
But the thing is, I think we need to stop looking and giving to so much and look at what we all want, despite different levels of experiences. I will, and before I continue, what I say on this podcast is strictly my opinion. It is not a generalization of what I think disability is. It is merely how I experience disability, and I can't speak for anyone else. So if someone gets, if I sound too cheery, like, oh, happy-go-lucky for somebody who's listening right now, then then I don't mean to insult the experiences. I don't mean to uh, insult any pain. I'm just speaking purely from my personal um, experience as being born with CP. That is something I, I need to skate before we go any further. Because I find that's one of the biggest issues is a lot of the people who are speaking on behalf of disabled people kind of generalize, at least in the academic uh, space, they generalize as to mean all people. And that can be very frustrating. So again, I do not mean to insult anyone. If this doesn't drive for you, if my perspective doesn't drive, then good feet good for you for critical thinking. You know, not just saying, oh, this is what they think, therefore I should think this too. No, think about it, and if it works for you, great. If it doesn't, that's fine too. But this is what my perspective has grown into, um, grown into after a lifetime of experience. Thank you so much for these points. Uh, I think especially the idea about comfort and emotional states uh, in disability, I think that's uh, that's so important. And that kind of, you know, hit home with me a little. Um, and, and especially how you mentioned, like, how each of our experiences are, is a personal experience of disability. And I guess just just how varied the disability community is. Um, I I very much agree that we need to consider all perspectives. Um, as someone who became disabled later in life, and and I guess whose disability is both apparent and non-apparent at times, and sometimes fluctuates on a daily basis. I know that my experience is very different from, you know, individuals who. Who, who are born disabled or maybe those who become disabled a bit earlier in, in life. Um, I know I know in my work at AUSU, when, when I've been writing processes or policies that are, are kind of for and with advocacy with disabled students, I, I always keep in the back of my mind to make sure to consult with as many disabled students as possible. Mm-hmm. as a community, is so varied, right? Yes. And, and and the problem is we also live in a culture disabled or not, 
we're talking about different opinions because not work anymore because we don't listen to each other. I mean, we're listening to each other right now, but it's a very, it's a very divisive world at the moment, which again, I appreciate. Um, because when I emailed you a couple months back and was like, hey, that was a great podcast, um, that you did nothing without us, without us. That was great. Now, here are my kind of different points. Could we consider doing something together, and here we are. Instead of me going, you know, it doesn't reflect on me how gay you, you know, we're actually able to have a talk, which I think is extremely powerful in this time for students, whether they see themselves as having a quote-unquote disability or not. Mm-hmm. I completely agree. And honestly, I'm so happy that, that you reached out that day and we've had these great conversations and, and that we're, we're doing this now. I, I think it's so important. Sometimes at AU, I know in my experience, when I when I try to build community in an online space, sometimes it's easier because it's online, but there are barriers. So when I, yeah. I try to reach out uh, to students on social media, setting up meetings to discuss advocacy, and you know, even inviting students like yourself to to our recent AUSU um, EDI committee meeting. I think, I think just con- you know us connecting, we can connect with so many more students that way. And I think, I think it's also important to mention like this is always such a learning process. I know for myself, I'm always learning more, and I'm unlearning a lot of things as well um you know each day you learn a bit more and i guess you you just try to shift and and keep going um and i I was wondering how how do you think student leaders and especially you know such as those on ausu maybe someone like myself could better advocate for and with disabled students and maybe how can students who maybe not be able to participate in, in student leadership for, for a var- variety of reasons, right? Um, advocate for themselves and their fellow students. I think for me, and this is possibly because I just came out of a feminist course on research, and they kept talking about the power of like focus groups and um, qualitative surveys. So, so surveys with open-ended questions um to just email a survey monkey survey out to disabled students maybe reaching out to the accessibility services office and saying hey asu we're going to um give this do you have a newsletter or any way we can contact people with disabilities and have them have they say, because I think, for me, going through uh, social sciences as a disabled student, you are not, you are not necessarily seen in um, the research only in very negative ways. It was like what I found in feminism. Um, only courses of taking we've been seen as very like passive victims or very angry. And so I think 
We need to start reaching out and say, how do you truly feel? We need to update the research. It's not that your research is wrong. I, I just think it, in some ways, I just think it's time to update the, the research that we find in the social sciences about disability. And one way this student can do this, to circle back to your question, is to have surveys, is to have research proposals, which I've seen in a student, student magazine a couple times. So maybe something like that would be really helpful to initiate change. And especially um, consciousness raising groups, which are like things like this, but with, with more people. Like to have an event where we pose questions like what's the most important thing leaders need to know about um, AU students with disabilities? What are the main issues for you? Because as a, as a lifer, um, that is the main question that I don't hear very often when it comes to research. I hear a lot of people giving opinions about what my life should be, but not really asking me how I feel. And so that is key. We need to start being more curious, asking questions rather than this is the answer. I think I think your points about focus groups, consciousness raising groups, um, and reaching out to accessibility services, and especially asking um, just asking questions um, are, are really, really great points. I think on, on my end, I think that student leaders or, you know, disabled student leaders, um, such as myself, have, have much to learn. And, and also unlearn. Um, it's a constant process. Um, I think part of this advocacy is ensuring consultation um, with with fellow disabled students. Um, and I think, you know, I, I'm using disability as kind of an umbrella term, but but this also includes chronically ill students, neurodiverse students, um, students with accessibility needs, um, and, and just in, ensuring that, that organizations like AUSU are inclusive and accessible as possible. Um, from my personal experience, student leadership is not accessible. Um, for a variety of reasons. And I think there needs to be some serious conversation about why this is and, and what can be done to, to change. Mm -hmm. um, we, we recently had a really great conversation about inspiration in disability. And I know we have quite different opinions, which I think is a great thing. I really appreciated this conversation. And I was wondering if you could share your thoughts on inspiration in disability with students. Well, um, to begin with, I agree with what you just said. Like, it's a definitely learning process for me as well. Um, because I've been thinking about this for a while. Because, of course, we set the gate and then we get busy with our lives. For me, inspiration is what keeps me literally breathing some days. Um... Like, sometimes when you have a, um, 
this is one of the words that you don't like. When you have a severe disability, like when you're born a quadriplegic, there's not a lot you can... And people don't see you as able to contribute much. Teachers often see you as, oh, she's going to have to be held back, you know? So when I get that smile that says, oh, you know, I've seen you be so happy at this restaurant, or I see, I heard you laughing, and you know, you have a great laugh, and you're a beautiful person that's like, yes, I just did my job. <laughs> you, you know, I just contributed to a better place, which is what advocacy is all about. Um, the problem with inspiration as advocacy, as you may point out in a couple minutes here, the issue that happens, and I know Martin Luther King had this feelings as well, is that people get inspired by a really great speech or whatever they get inspired, but they don't do anything with it. They don't change their lives. They just use this as a, not use this, they just use the, like we get turned into pieces of candy, kind of, something that you enjoy for like a moment, instead of me giving out some soup to somebody who really needs it, if that analogy makes sense, like something you're, something um, that's tasty versus something that's nourishing. So, so I hope that m makes sense. But at the same time, we should not throw out sweetness for saying that, oh, it's all bad for you. No, we just need to make sure it's more sustainable. Yeah, okay. so if someone says to me, oh, you're so inspiring, you know, or I have this very lovely retail person. I go to some stores fairly regularly because they're accessible. That's another topic thing at the time. <laughs> um, but she always comes running over and says, Hi, how are you? In kind of a more friendly, in kind of a voice that you use for someone younger. <laughs> And, um, and yes, it's annoying, but if I were to go, oh, don't talk to me like that, you know, that would break any possibility of anything from change happening. But now that I've talked to a couple times and just let that go, I can maybe next time more easily say, hey, I know you probably don't see people like me out often, but here's the thing, I'm, here's the thing, just because wearing wheelchairs doesn't necessarily mean, like, I, I can find a way to maybe tell her that she can, like, she doesn't, she doesn't have to try so hard to make sure I understand, because I do, but because, we have a more friendly relationship because I was able to take her 
smile with me and feel inspiring myself, I was able to think about it and actually build a relationship that may bring about change. It may not, but it could. I, I really appreciate you, you sharing this view. I, I think it's so important. And, and sometimes, you know, we don't have these conversations enough. And I, I do definitely see where you're coming from. And, and it's something to consider. I think, I think sometimes my perspective differs a bit. And, you know, this comes with my particular disability, right? And my chronic il illnesses. And I think my frustration comes that, that I just want to be seen as Natalia, um, not not an inspiration when I'm just doing ordinary and mundane and and boring things. But also, you know, if, if I happen to be succeeding, I think far too often, and you've touched on this, I, I find the way speak, people might, might address me a bit infantilizing or or my experience is being used to, to make a person feel better about their, their own lives, you know, for not being me. Um, when, when I think just wider society, sometimes forget that d disabled people are just humans with varied and vast experiences like everyone else. And, and we have these intersecting identities and often face compounding systems of oppression, right? We also fail, we succeed, um we try again i i also i find that inspiration in disability is sometimes used as a way and not every time but but this is what i've noticed from, from my personal experience it, it's used as a way to detract from larger systemic issues so like for example i don't want to be seen as inspirational for having to overcome obstacles that that should be dismantled by by people who say they are uh, allies. I think this shifts the responsibility exclusively on the disability community, and you know we, we play a a role. We have agency to, to dismantle these systems, but I think it absolves like wider society of their responsibility to also create a more inclusive and, and equitable society. It, it shouldn't just be on on us. Um, I I understand that, and I see a point. Like I used to speak for disability camp when I was younger in my teens, which was great. But at the same time, we can't necessarily. To say, oh, that's placing the, that's, that's making people turn away from the bigger issues. I, I disagree. I honestly disagree with that because, yeah, they may walk away from it, but something deep down in them may have shifted so that they'll notice it more. I just feel like that's like to say that people who get inspired by me you know just because i'm laughing um are not seeing the problems because they are but you can't expect somebody let's say if you had a personal trainer you can't expect somebody who wants to lose 50 pounds to start off with 
the really high, really brutal exercise, right? You need to have friends and family that go, keep going, you're doing great. Otherwise, otherwise it's not worth it. And I think my anger that comes from your point, and no offense, by the way, because we all have different opinions, but I think my anger comes from the fact that because I'm empathic, not just because my disability issues and blah, 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 but because I have an empathic heart and just feel everything on the news, like it's happening to me sometimes, it takes a lot to wake up and smile. Like, every day I wake up and smile, I see that as a victory. And so somebody, somebody's saying to me, oh, you're not seeing the oppression, you're not seeing the oppression that this means. Yes, I am. I'm seeing that I overcame the statistics that say that people like me in their teens have more rates of suicide. People like me in their teens have more probability of um, suicidal ideation um, than those who get who do not, and I think that's changing with social media, unfortunately, but because now we've gone into the crippling effects of body image shaming 24-7, but again, that's a different topic. My point is that I did, I did break the system, and I'm not going to be ashamed because I'm actually happy with every little victory that I accomplish. Mm-hmm. And because when I was 17, there was a time when I had very, very dark thoughts. And so for someone to say, oh, Smiling is too trivial, which I know is not exactly what you're saying, but that's what it feels like sometimes. When when Eli Clare in his book Exile and Pride says, Oh, the reason I, I felt so bad about moving down the mountain was because of the super trip idea. No, maybe he just wanted to complete things because he likes to complete things. There are more reasons than just disability. Like, I think, I think there's a risk of people becoming self-absorbed and thinking it always has to deal with disability. Um, which is exactly your point. But the way it's said in some of the articles, it's like, yeah, but I did beat the system by s- smiling today. I, I think, you know, first, th- thank you so much um, for sharing this. And I'm, I'm so sorry to hear about, you know, the struggles, but also so glad to, you know, hear that, that you're beating them and that you're succeeding. And I think 
I think I really also appreciate your, your points. So thank, thank you for sharing that with all of us. I, I know for myself, I really learn a lot um, for, from trying to, to see where you're coming from. Um, right. And I do, you too, right? You make some very good points. It's just, again, when it's generalized all the time, that's the frustrating thing. Mm-hmm. When it is presented as, oh, this is how we do feel, this is how we should feel, and it's like, that's not how I feel at all. I feel grateful when somebody smiles at me. I feel grateful that I'm in a wheelchair. I feel because of the new perspective it gives me. So if that inspires people, then you're welcome. Mm-hmm. I think, <laughs> like, I, I really appreciate you sharing that point. You know, I, I think this maybe, you, you touched on this a, a bit earlier, and maybe we, we could go into this. We, we talked, we, in our previous conversation, and, and we just touched on it now, you talked a bit about how to avoid becoming angry and bitter in a world not designed for disability. Like, What are your thoughts on anger in advocacy and activism? Anger can be used as a tool, but it has to be used as a way to motivate, not destroy. And I think that's the thing that gets me so emotional now, is that when I read a lot of the articles that say opening a door is a sign of oppression, you know, it's just like, well, there's building walls where there really shouldn't be any, you know, maybe that person should have asked the disabled person if they want to get the door open, yes, but we have to be kind, and the Wise people are just gonna be like, run away and run away fast and hide and don't look back. Mm-hmm. And so we have to be the, we have to use our anger to say, no, this isn't right. No, this isn't fair. Like you and wanting more disabled access for the student union, you can use that anger to move. The, the organization forward, but as mine of one of my all my heroes, you see, practice nonviolence. So when I hear people like being wanting to snap at other people just for opening a door, whatever, whether they're woman disabled, you, you know, whatever. Um then I, I'm like, I understand your pain, I really do, but it's almost, and I guess this is what I was talking about, about having difficulty in understanding those who come later to get disabled life, because for me, when I hear people getting snarky about things like opening a door, and and motivational speakers being objects of objectification. I get really frustrated because, number one, for me, it's like a job to be a motivational speaker. (laughs) It's literally work that I can do. 
with the Texan Ministry of Weapons. And so it's just, I, I get really angry because it's like, um, where's the positivity in that? Where's the connection? Because if you want to be seen as a human, why are you snarling and snapping at people for the simplest mistakes? And I think I get frustrated because it's almost like a teenager-type reaction. Like, it's almost like, don't touch me, you mean this. And it's just a bunch of assumptions, and we need to get past those new jokes and actually understand maybe that person is just really trying to be nice and and doesn't know how we need to teach them until we live in a different world we need to be the ones who step forward we can't blame them we have to work with them mm -hmm. I, I really like the point you, you made um, about anger being used as a tool. Um, I, I thought that that was that was really striking for me. And I think I think we're all on the same page about yes. this in a way. Um, I, I know we also had a great conversation about this. And, you know, I I <laughs> I think I am aware, but I think sometimes you know when we had the conversation like you, you kind of brought awareness that like I think I do tend to sway to to the side of anger because I'm I'm so frustrated with with the state of the world and just you, you know just how how the disability community is treated as disposable in so many ways I agree with you it makes me cry every day when I turn off my computer and I have to read this and that. Like, I I almost cry every single night. I get frustrated, too, but at the same time, they're disabled in their perceptions. So we have to be as sympathetic with them as we want them to be and accommodating with them as we want them to be with our disabilities. You know, to to me, sometimes I, I just, I have to turn off the media as well. It's, it, it weighs, I think it weighs a lot on you just to see. And I think sometimes I, I get a little, I think I get a little angry at myself. Um, I, I see being in a position of student leadership uh, as a great privilege, and I think sometimes when I when I can't seem to to get those wins for for students, I I think sometimes mm -hmm. you know I, I take it personally, and and it's not because there's only so much of the system that you can change. You know, you keep you can keep yeah. trying, and and then I I think I do believe. You know, as much as I try not to sway on the side of anger, I do believe at the end of the day in justified anger, like in a world not designed for disability. But I think, you know, and this is what I'm, I'm I, I try to remember. And, and then, you know, you've also really made me remember is not to succumb to bitterness because I know that won't serve me or 
students I, you know, advocate for and with in the long run. So yes, I can be angry, but I need yes. to continue to challenge this anger to create change instead of letting it sadden me. So like you said, using that anger as a tool. Yeah, like I hit this great quote because it was about professional boundaries and it works well with um this as well. You can use fire to cook a meal, but you can also it can also bring the house down and there's a good difference right there. Anger can be used to make things happen, to make things well put you in and cook. But if we don't use it use it in a controlled structure not structure but in a controlled manner then it can destroy everything we're actually trying to create because it creates that distance mm -hmm. that, that's a really really great point and and I, I i like that that representation um and it, it's kind of a symbol so you know maybe this kind of brings us to to our next point um I'd like to circle back to um, a recent conversations that we had regarding two symbols as well. So the cactus and the lotus. Um, in, in my recent presentation um, regarding disability for AUS Unites, um, and, and this is also for, for students, um, this is also available as a podcast. If anyone would really like to, to see the conversation that, that me and Eliza um, ha have been building on. So... During this presentation, I used the example of a cactus to represent the disability community. I said that despite heart conditions, um, disabled people continue to survive and thrive as, as we've always done. And, and Eliza, you brought up an interesting counterpoint of the lotus, suggesting that maybe we combine these two uh, symbols. Can, can you tell me your thoughts? Well, the lotus... I had no problem with the cactus I get, just the idea of it being prickly. Um, like I said, because if we come and <laughs> able-minded people will prickly and be like, don't talk to me like that, what are you doing, don't open the door, you're making me feel inferior, then people are just going to go, run! And, and the thing about cactuses is, now, I should have looked this up, and I'm not sure, so please don't quote me. Um, anybody who's a cactus fan, um, you can contact me later with the right information, but I believe... I am a cactus fan. <laughs> um, uh, but I believe what cactuses do is they shoot once, like, little sen senses have gone off near them. But not necessarily on them. Is that correct? I don't know. You know what? I'm going to look this up because that's really interesting. <laughs> Sorry, go on. So, yeah, I don't know if this is actually, but I just, like, even if that's not true and I got that from a cartoon, I apologize. But the point is, with a lot of disability work, or at least the stuff I've read and been, 
and have been required to read in my courses, it almost seems like we are reactive from trauma and we need to respond with a more loving kind of breath between the response and stimulus as um, my pastor colleague from um, Victor Frankl, who was a psychologist slash Holocaust survivor, he said, we need to take that pause between the stimulus and the response. And I think a lot of the reaction that I find in the papers I read is definitely more along the lines of react, 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 not breathing, not having that in intersectional analysis and kind of maybe having it later for other people, but not for people who, again, actually find a job in motivational speaking or advocacy or, like, find joy in the spasms and being, being a learning tool for doctors. I mean, yes, when I was little, it was a bit disconcerting having all these doctors look down at me and see all my perceived faults, but once I got out of this dis disabling perspective, it was like, now I can be a assistance, which I've always wanted to be helping instead of help, help be so much. Now I can be a helper for the medical establishment and perhaps maybe when they see my easygoing personality they'll be able to you know grow in their um relationships with future patients but if i was still reactive every time somebody spoke to me in a perceived demeaning or infantile way then this would never happen, and life becomes, um, life becomes not life, but more walking, walking dead sort of. So for me, being happy and helpful is a resistance and is a way to to survive in this harsh environment. So that's where the lotus comes from. Is the lotus is a great spiritual symbol in India. Um, I'm citing this from the autobiography of Yogi Paramahansa Yogananda. By the way, we're so used to citations now. Um, it said that it's a great symbol of overcoming adversity because um, it comes out of the mud, but, but it's this beautiful, sweet-smelling flower. And I think we need that to at least begin, if not begin, and sustain people through the forest of the cacti. Because if 
if somebody who's positive starts you off and, and inspires you, like K. Fox did for me, even though he might be assumed to be a super group, um, which I don't believe, he was very realistic, but anyway, um, the point is, if we start off with the inspiration and this weak smelling stuff, people are more willing to step forward, but we need the cactus to kind of push people and say, hey, hey, like that, as assertive, we can be diplomatic and assertive. If we mix those two, then I think we've got a winning com combination. If they're separate, yes, it's a problem. We can't always just smile at the problems. But if we use the smile and the, and the positive thinking to reimagine, you know, okay, how can I, how can I be a better person in leadership? How can I, um, how can I push, as Martin Luther King said in his autobiography, push with soul force rather than, rather than brute force so that things actually change for the better, you know, so I think it's the idea of assertive diplomacy rather than passivity or aggression binaries. Does mm -hmm. that answer? Yeah, completely. I, I think, um, I, I really appreciate your thoughts on this a, a great deal. And, and I think, you know, it was a really lovely thought combining the, the two symbols. And, you know, I, I think that really demonstrates how collaborative the disability community is. Um, yeah, so I, I really appreciate the conversation. Um, I was thinking, but before we end, maybe do you have any additional thoughts that, that you'd like to share with students? Well, just, and I know this might sound like a but like one of those 1980 videos that they show in school where it's like, just be happy, like, 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 yeah. but we need to understand where our personal trauma is coming in. Um, again, you saw, speaking about responding and reaction, and I do, I just, I just focus on what, be, before you start focusing on what's just find one thing to be grateful for each day you know for me today it's this podcast or my my parents love because they've been very fortunate that way but it's just like start being inspired by you whether you have a disab disability or not, because whether you have a spiritual perspective or not, it is miraculous that we are here and that our bodies formed into beings with thoughts. 
and you having point thoughts, you are seeing and you are kicked for, and if you have trouble with that from a spiritual perspective, then somebody cares about you on this podcast. Um, so, yeah, just, just that before we start complaining about the outer world, we need to start looking at our inner worlds, because once I started doing that, then things got not happy-go-lucky, but things got much more, I, I began to get tools to handle my external existence, which can be, as we've been discussing, extremely frustrating. So it's just like we have to look at ourselves before we start claiming we know what to do on the outside. So, but then again, just notice how you are here. You have you have won the victory just by maybe took everything you had to hit that listening button, but you're listening, you know, so just be proud of yourself for something each day. Mm-hmm. These these are amazing points. I, I think, you know, what really stood out for me is just considering our personal traumas first um, and and focusing also on our inner world and, and you know practicing gratitude daily i think these are such important points um thank you thank you so much for, for sharing this this with us um and also thank you so much for for joining us today on AUCU's open my podcast and thank you for this absolutely amazing conversation um i would just like to say if students would like to get involved in disability advocacy, please feel free to connect with AUSU at AUSU at AUSU.org. Um, and also, if you'd like to be put in touch with Elisa or myself, or if you would like to come as a guest to an upcoming meeting of AUSU's Equity, Diversity and Inclusion Committee. Until next time, thank you all. Bye. God bless. Thank you.